In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hey, Lanterncast family. I'm Chad Volkelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lanterncast. Episode 213. Which is our new series. We, uh, we're we not going to make it a spinoff because it's kind of a one-off thing, but um, I figured it's kind of like a, a special episode every now and then. This, we're calling this Lantern Cast Quarterly Quarterly. So the premise behind the idea, there was this, there was these eight, it was eight, right? Yeah. Should, yes. There were eight issues in the 90s, the early 90s, called Green Lantern Corps Quarterly. Um, and we've kind of touched on these before in the past iterations of Lantern Cast. Like, I think there was like a Halloween episode where we covered one of these things. Um, but, you know, uh, we'd like to cover the whole series and it'd kind of be dumb for us to like just skip the one issue we already did cover. And plus it's marking me now. So we can do, you know, maybe put our spin on it or something. So Lantern Cast quarterly, quarterly. We're basically going to cover an issue of Green Lantern Corps quarterly once a quarter. You have no idea when in that three-month span a quarterly-quarterly issue is going to uh, episode is going to be coming out, but it will be at some point. Uh, this is these are great stories uh, with various lanterns being featured in them, so it's kind of like a cool thing for us to do every now and then as a departure from the regular issue reviews or whatever else uh, we've got going. So. With that in mind, Mark, you said you were going to take the uh, the first storyline, right? I'm going to do the intro and the first storyline, and I have to put a disclaimer on this to begin with, as opposed to our normal, <coughs> excuse me, our normal reviews in which I'm always using either a graphic novel or the hard copies. That for this review, I'm going to be I have a digital. We have all the uh, Green Lantern Corps quarterlies on digital, so if there's a little more hes- a little bit more hesitation as I'm going through the story that's probably going to be why just because i have to click and go every single time you go to a uh next page you do have to click so you don't really get any two-page spreads and you may have to zoom in to read see what's going on on the screen so just as a little bit of that's just a little bit of background uh and i've got a disclaimer too uh just real quick sorry guys i was going to mention this earlier as a bit of a disclaimer if you hear typing in the background or anything uh, we are recording this on uh, on uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day. Um, the only reason I mention is that is because if you were participating or if you saw, we were having a live tweet event at that time, which is what I'm doing right now. Um, so we're live tweeting and stuff as we're recording, but most our, our focus is primarily on the episode. But just so you know, if you hear typing in the background, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> or Chad wants you to think that he's tweeting one of the two. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm tweeting. <laughs> I'm in the triple X chat room. 
That's right. He just he just covered himself for the entire episode. Busty Milf 01? That's right. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> Chad, Chad, answer goes on for 10 minutes. I feel so much better now. <laughs> That's enough right. of that. <laughs> Moving on. Enough of that. <laughs> um, so we, we begin... We begin on Oa with a nice little splash page. The title of this episode or this issue is The Book of Everything. So it's Hal leading a bunch of Green Lanterns, including good old Bullcut, Guy Gardner, and, and John Stewart, Kilowog, among others. Nort is there too, God help us. But it won't be the last time we see Nort today. <laughs> nope. Nope. So they're. How is kind of like setting them up or setting us up for what we're going to see next by, you know, prepare yourselves. And it's like nothing you've ever seen before. And then we get to the next page and we see what he's taking them to is the book of Oa. And of course, uh, it's kind of interesting because they, well, you know, how kind of gives a little background, how it basically covers, you know, every, everything the guardians have ever done, everything they will do along with the green lanterns, you know, it covers and other you know, Guy and John kind of chime in about how it also covers Green Lanterns that have never that did are people that are beings that never really became Green Lanterns, Green Lanterns that haven't happened yet, which of course you know we know from the Sodomiat prophecy and things like that as we go along. But the one of the more interesting things is we find out that basically the language that it's written in that technically speaking, you really, that only the Guardians can really read it. That is one of those things where it's almost like you have to have to uh, sync your brain up, being the right, almost like a meditation kind of mode to be in the right frame of mind. And then if you are, then you can kind of absorb the story that's basically going into, uh, going, coming from or emanating from the, from the book of Owa. Uh, how kind of, you know, John being John kind of mentions that, you know, he's been trying to like learn from the book and Hal being Hal also points out that in the beginning when, you know, when, when Tomar Ray kind of showed him this book that he, you know, he kind of kind of like poo-pooed it and didn't think too much of it. But now that he's older and supposedly wiser, now he's kind of learned from his mistake that while they're in kind of like a precursor to what's coming as one of the stories that's coming down the road is that's Chase Alon, right? The Chase Alon's kind of like, quote unquote, reading the book and next to and Kilowog's like looking over his shoulder and he mentions, you know, Alan's he mentions, you know, Alan, Alan, what's his name? And then John, I mean, excuse me, Hal realizes he's, he's talking about Alan Scott, you know, which is kind of surprises him a little because, of course, Alan Scott was not really a core member, but still it fits the description of, you know, basically the big blanket of Green Lanterns and somebody who the core of the Guardians, I should say, might be interested in. So that was pretty much the preface to this issue. And then as, you know, Guy says to Hal, like, what, so what are we waiting for? You know, let's let's turn the page. And then we get to the first story in this, which is written by John Ostrander, art by Flint Henry, which is called Laying Down the Law. And we have a, I don't know, he's, he kind of, he's kind of like, fi- he's fishy looking, right? He's fishy looking. Muck Muck's grandfather. That's what he looks, that's what he kind of looks like. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, he, he is, he is kind of fishy looking, this guy. He's kind of uh, like a space mermaid. Yeah, he's got, that's true. He does have a tail and he's, and he's got gills. So, Pat, well, let's just call him Path of M because he's got like three names: Path of M, Seth, Otaric. So Path, Path of Em it is. Uh, so he's he's checking out the planet Garnet, which is otherwise known as Hellhole, which does not, based on the name alone, gives you the reputation of this place. And as we also will find out quickly that this, as besides being a lawless planet, it also has a history of uh, laying waste to 
any lawman or lawfish that comes to town to try to impose law. So Pathavim comes down. He points out that you know he's the new Green Lantern assigned to the sector, and you know from this moment on, the rule of law and justice exists on this planet. Of course, as soon as he says that, pretty much every thug under the sun starts taking shots at him. He seals himself in a green energy bubble, and of course, as we've seen with many other Green Lanterns before, sometimes you kind of get a little too cocky about uh, your invulnerability. So as he's able to shield himself from all the other attacks. You know, one particular big alien with big guns comes over at him, pumps a bunch of bullets at him, which quickly penetrate his shield and go into him. And then we realize, or we get introduced to Trosk. Trosk is basically the anti-lawman in this area, and he only shoots uh, pure Zolthanian gold bullets, which are not easy to find, but are quite effective, especially if you're if you're going after Green Lanterns. So all too late, uh, Pathavim realizes that, you know, he, he kind of was, his cockiness has kind of done him in because he'd been mortally wounded by the bullets. You know, he sends his, he sends his ring off to find a successor and then, you know, Trost just completely obliterates, obliterates him. The ring keeps searching, uh, I said Gar- Garnet, right? That's the same? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's what I thought of, I said, but I, for some reason I, had a moment of doubt. So the ring keeps searching on Garnet, looking for a a new or suitable bearer. And this is when we get our introduction to Jack T. Chance for the first time. As the ring comes to him, the little, as he refers to it as the bauble, which he will call, refer to it as all throughout the story. You know, the he he picks up the ring, he puts it on the ring, he puts it on his fingers, and of course, for a moment, he transforms into the standard Green Lantern uniform, which he despises immediately. The ring, which I kind of like. One of the things I do like about the story a great deal is the fact that we do get a lot of interaction communication-wise between the ring and its bearer, which we certainly don't get nearly as much of, I think, these days, other than status reports and things like that. There's no personal interaction between a bearer and its and its uh, its ring. So the ring brings John uh, Jack T. Chance up to snuff about the uh, Guardians and how you've been selected, and the ring has to be renewed for 24 hours. Conveniently enough, doesn't bother giving him the, the the primer on the on the yellow weakness, which you would think it would. You know, Jack T. Chance tells you know tells the ring that's great, it's fascinating. Now lose the union suit. The ring informs him that you know you have to basically be, you need something. You have to identify yourself as a Green Lantern in some way. So he pretty much decides. He convinces the ring, okay, just give me a friggin' give me a badge, you know, right on my lapel. Just give me a Green Lantern symbol badge, and that'll be pretty much uh his his uniform so he can just wear his trench coat and everything else so then jack t jance is all too gung-ho now to uh to take advantage of having the ring to bring justice to this to this planet or, or his kind of justice basically so he interrupts this car this this card game uh once again uh he kind of makes everybody realizes really quickly that he's got a badge on it on his shoulder Actually, on his lapel, and he makes it clear, you know, that he's the law. You know, he's the law now, and there's going to be changes. You know, he he takes, you know, he t- takes out that card game, and as the little narrative tells us, you know, and so the law came to Hellhole. Hellhole didn't take kindly to the law. The law didn't take care. The law was whooping the hell out of Hellhole and having a good time doing it. And you see a, you know, a 
a bunch of scenes of Jack, you know, wiping out people who who stood in his way. You know, he kind of he kind of realized what's coming. You know that that Trosk still has to be dealt with, so he kind of is calling out Trosk. Meanwhile, at the same time, he's he's wiping out a sniper, and then Trosk does appear almost, you know, on command. And they have an interesting little exchange when Trosk goes, "I know you, boy. I know your folks. You come from bad stock. You've been a regular part of Hellhole. What made you turn?" <laughs> Kind of the opposite of our normal routine. It's like, what made you turn bad? It's like, what made you turn good? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that was pretty funny. You know, so Trost pretty much, I mean, at the end, Jack T. Chance kind of sums it up. It's like, it's more fun to beat up on the bad guys. They, you know, uh, Trost pulls the gun. Again, uh, Jack T. Chance, again, not knowing everything about the ring, kind of has two little, gets two little epiphanies there or hard lessons. And number one, the ring won't kill on command because he told, because that's what he first commands him to do the ring to do smoke him bauble. And then of course, the fact that because he's using gold bullets, that he is susceptible to gold bullets and he gets shot in the shoulder. As soon as he gets shot, he kind of flies off, you know, to regroup and he's asking the ring, what the, what the hell is going on? And that's when the ring bothers to inform him that, you know, you know, back using our favorite quote, the necessity, the necessary impurity that, you know, we have no effect over things that are yellow. It's like, why did, it's like, and then he goes, why didn't you need to blow them away? Like, like I asked, he goes, I'm sorry, but I'm not allowed to do that. And then, you know, Jack T. Chance is like, oh, geez. Like, as any reader would probably go at this point who, who knew already about the core, it's like, now you tell me all these things. You could tell me about the 24-hour time limit and the recharge, but you can't give me the negatives, the other negatives. And he pretty much just takes matters into his own his own hands. He uses his gun and blows Trost's head. It's not completely off. He suddenly shoots one, blows off the top of his head. <laughs> Jack goes, you know, sometimes the old ways just work the best. <laughs> as soon as he gets done killing Trost, the ring takes, you know, starts taking him to Oa because the Guardians, you know, summoned him. They're not really happy with what he did. I like the whole part about, you know, slow down. I mean, I get warp sick. He's in, encased in this green energy bubble, holding his mouth as he's about to hurl. He gets dropped at the, you know, at the Citadel to deal with the Guardians, and the Guardians point out, you know, how displeased they are. The fact that, you know, you, we know you killed him, that man in self-defense, but you know the situ- but you could have avoided the situation. You need, you know, you need rigorous training. You need a long probation period. And Jack T. Chance, as soon as he hears that, he just plops the ring down on on. You know, the floor of the Citadel and says, forget it. I'm not interested. It's like, if, basically, if you're not going to let me do clean up the area my way, then you can find somebody else. And he makes a very valid observation, which is, you know, what, what you guys have done, you little, you blue boys, as he refers to them, it's like, you've made a basic mistake. You sent a good man to clean up a bad sector, and good men are going to get killed there. What you need is a good bad man, someone as mean, as nasty as the people he's going against, which basically is him. <laughs> So he's trying to convince the Guardians that, you know, hey, if you, the only way to really clean up the sector is you need some, you, you need a badass pretty much to deal with a badass sec- sector. And that's what, and that's what you got in me. And the Guardians actually agree to this. And I like the little part at the end when he, when the, when the Guardians goes, I hope we haven't just made one of our celebrated mistakes. <laughs> I saw that too. And I was like, well, at least they acknowledge they're douchebags sometimes. Back then anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, you know, Jack hit, you know, the ring's back in Jack's finger. He flies back off to his sector. He goes back. He lands back in, on Hellhole on Garnett. 
and like pretty much in this time, all all the criminals have kind of kind of unif- unified again to go against him. And Jack T. Chance, you know, with his ring poised to deal with it, is, is like uh, after he gets threatened, is that sounds like a heap of fun. Let's get to it. And it's like the end for now. <laughs> that was a pretty good story. It was. It was uh, Guy Gardner light. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it is really difficult to go back and and read a lot of Guy Gardner, or at least with the bowl cut now, because Guy Gardner, Guy Gardner certainly, well, certainly pre rebirth, but. It, but to be fair, he kind of started becoming less of a douche, I think, during Kyle's run. But anything going back to before, let's say Emerald Twilight, when you're dealing with a uh, bowl cut guy, he was he's still pretty douchey, and it's really, really hard to read him now that we see the much more uh, better drawn, better written, and better from uh, the way he comes across is so much better. Guy does now, so it's kind of hard sometimes to go back and remember how he used to be. Well, I mean, I mean, uh, Jack T. Chance is Guy Gardner light. Yes, he is. Yeah. Um, before we get any further, we need something from you. Um, we need a dramatic reading of the. Uh, oh, the oh, the, yes, the Jack. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. I did kind of. I, as soon as <laughs> now that you said that, I yes, I I completely. Let me give me one second because I got eight thousand things. Let me go back. Let me, let me go back to when he when he says the oath. Yeah, because I I because I was just thinking about that. You know, when he when he did it, when he took the oath, I was thinking based on our you know based on our conversation about how you know, how the oaths get butchered before that. It's it is it is kind of funny. Now I just got to what page was it on? Uh, I'm looking for it quick as usual. 11 and 12 of 57. Jeez. The actual page number in the printed copy is uh, the, it's page number 11. Um, we're all reading this digitally, guys. Yeah, that's that's like I said, this is one of those things where what happens on the what is hap- what is happening on the page when he just because I know it's here because I read because right read after it. he blows up the bar the 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 card game or whatever. Uh, Oh yeah, I got it. It's a big, it's a big page. Yeah, it's. I've, I probably glossed over because I was when I was doing the description because that's 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 the splash page of him in action taking out crooks left and right. All right, <clears throat> you who are wicked, evil, and mean. I'm the nastiest creep you've ever seen. Come one, come all, put up a fight. I'll pound your butts with Green Lantern's light. Yowza. <laughs> 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 yowza, yowza, yowza. Awesome. Like an old episode of Happy Days. <laughs> hey. It's Richie Cunningham, Green Lantern. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And I'm not a big Jack T. Chance guy, but this, as a story, this was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, the only thing I got to say about it, other than um, other than its, its quality, is the art was kind of distracting. Um the artist is Flint Henry, by the way. Uh, this was written by John. Did you say all this at the beginning? Yeah, I think I did. Okay. Yeah, I didn't do it for the. I didn't do it for the prologue, which was, of course, Gerard Jones was the, was the artist. Right. Was the, was the writer, I mean, because. Uh, which, but, uh, which I like the Gerard Jones stuff a lot. Uh, I really have no issues at all with the Gerard Jones things. Um, but the artist uh, here, really detailed. I mean, there is a lot of detail in all of this, uh, and at some points it can get distracting. The colors, though, I think help make up for that because they're so bright and yes. they're really cool looking. Um, he did the Spectre, didn't he? Didn't Ostrander do one of the Spectre series? I think he did. Yeah. I think, 
I don't I don't know about the I don't know what uh, what uh, uh, other things I've seen Flint Henry's work on though in terms of art. Um, the Guardians kind of look weird. Yeah, they do kind of look weird. Like when Jack uh, tosses his badge and, and uh, ring up to them. Yeah. That one guardian that's looking at the reader. <laughs> what, <laughs> what is that face? <laughs> um, I can't believe he just did that. <laughs> otherwise, yeah, it was a really, it was a really cool, uh, really cool story. Um, I know that Jack T. Chance has been called Guy Gardner light, but I don't really know if I see Guy Gardner doing this kind of stuff. So, there's that. Maybe he's Guy Gardner with all the filters off. Yeah, it's because he can get away with doing more stuff because he's because he's not bound by being a human or being somebody or being somebody we have to automatically feel like akin to or have a relationship with because especially in a world in a universe of or a setting of universal setting where there's so many aliens involved that you're going to gravitate towards humans so maybe it's easier making somebody a kind of making a Punisher character in space not necessarily be a human so I don't know but I I. As an intro, it was pretty good. It's probably the best. It's probably the most interesting I found, Jack, Jack T. Chance. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else to say about the story? I mean, I feel like we're, we're. I mean, I don't know what else is there to say. Um, no, I think it. I think. I mean, we did, we did. I'm glad you picked up on the on the fact that I didn't do the oath, which I had originally planned planned on focusing in on or going back to it. But just, I like Trosky. Was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the designs of a lot of these aliens are pretty cool. One of them kind of looks like a green Krang with a body. Krang from uh, TMNT. Oh my god, there's a Batman symbol on one of these aliens. Um, where Jack gets the ring and then says, put a badge on me. Yeah, I'm going back to that now. There's That purple alien has a Batman symbol. On yeah, he does! <laughs> Oh, he, and he looks like Predator. He's, pre, he's like a little Predator, it looks like. Kinda. Uh, that was, that was kinda weird. Yeah, cause even, look, look, he's even got the thing on his wrist. Uh, the thing on his wrist. Oh, yeah. He's got the little, his little, his little bomb, his little built-in bomb thing on his wrist. Yeah, it's kinda cool. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe they would, maybe this is around the time they did the Batman Predator miniseries. Maybe. Uh, I never read that, so I don't know. I, I think I have one of them. I may have the second one. I think I have the graphic novel of one of them. Uh, I need to know. Hang on. I need to know this. Uh, who is... Uh... Yeah, because if, if you actually go on the same page and you go up before before uh, Jack deals with him, he's, he's, got, his, he's got the claw out on the, from, the, from the thing, too, in his hand. Unfortunately, it looks like he's got friggin' cats impaled on it. Oh, that's cool. F control F arch. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, so in the in the comic, there's a there's a point where uh, where he get where Jan, where Jack gets shot, and he's diving for cover. There's a there's a grave or a tombstone marked Arch Stanton. You see that? Yes. You know what that's a reference to? Not off the top of my head. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, is oh okay. The treasure is marked in a grave called Arch Stanton. Arch Stanton. 
Yeah, and there's even a shovel behind him when he's hiding behind the Yeah. Uh, and you see the naked you see the naked <laughs> feet too. Human feet, no no less. Yeah, cuz cuz I mean I like I was saying the art is so clear and I was like there's a name on this. This name must mean something. <laughs> uh Yeah, that's cool. Let me see if there's anything else in here. No, well, there's something that says Sad Hill. What is Sad Hill? Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, too. Oh, it is? Yeah, it's a cemetery from Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> so obviously a fan. A big fan. Uh, awesome. Okay. All right, so on to the next story. This one is And I Shall Shed My Light. This is a... Um, Helen Scott story. Uh, Roger Stern is the writer. Dusty Abel is the penciler. Couldn't tell if that was an R or B. Steve Mitchell is the inker. Bob Lapin was the letterer. Anthony Tolan was the colorist. And Kevin Dooley is the editor. And a nice little credit there. Green Lantern created by Bill Finger and Martin Nodell. Um, we start off with a couple of army, uh, uh, well, military police uh, driving across a bridge. And because this is an Alan Scott story, the uh, bridge explodes, and these uh, guys are falling, and then they get caught by none other than Green Lantern. One of the guys says it's Green Lantern. The other guy says it doesn't look like any Green Lantern I've ever seen. Uh, but uh, one of them says, no, he's the first one. Uh, my great-uncle Hank used to tell me about him. Uh, Alan's like, well, how about that? Somebody remembered. So he... Uh, you know, puts up a bridge out sign and then asks these military police these, uh, uh, where they were headed. And they say uh, uh, some uh, neo-Nazis raided their munitions depot and uh, you know they've got away with a lot of ordnance, so we were going after them. So Alan says, I'm going to fly up ahead and see if I can spot them. Well, throughout this whole story, there's a recap of basically Alan's origin. He was a co- uh, contractor... Uh, that uh, won the bid to build a bridge by the government. The uh, opposing contractor sabotaged it, and the train went down on the bridge. Everybody died except Alan. And, and, and hopefully you guys know the story. Uh, Alan got the power of the lantern and, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you know. Um, goes and confronts the, co- the competing contractor named Decker, gets him to confess, sign a signature, it's too much for him. He has a heart attack and dies. Alan then re- uh, recalls a couple of um, uh, instances in which he did a couple of things. Um, he talks about a couple of them. I don't know off the top of my head because I haven't read a lot of Golden Age Alan Scott, although I do have those two trades, so maybe I should. Um, he recaps something called The Strange Case of the Cars from the Future, uh, and then uh, he talks about... Uh, Agents of Hitler's Third Reich, the Bundes, the Saboteurs, the world had no shortage of Egypt. He mentions a couple things. Then he talks about how the JSA went up against someone uh, called the Shadow Man, Ian Carcool. So there's a couple of references in there. I know those are references to past stories, um, but uh, those are the names. If you guys want to look those up, I'll be looking them up here in a second myself. Um, He's lost in thought. He catches up with these neo-Nazis. Um, they start shooting at him. Of course, he's invulnerable. They say, all right, scatter. He can't catch us all at once, which he does, of course, with his ring. 
Uh, he says, well, you guys aren't smart enough to be pulling this off. Well, who's the man behind it? Well, we cut to an aerial view of this house where, you know, the, the bosses are, where's the truck? Where's the truck? Where's the truck? Um, Alan drops it on top of the roof into the house and, you know, takes everybody down. One of them almost gets in with the handle of an axe because, of course, Alan's ring has a weakness to wood. Yes, bring on the jokes. Uh, and uh, uh, he sees the neo-Nazis. Uh, he's the paterfamilia. He sees a flag. He lights it on fire. The news is covering this. He comes home. And uh, his wife is there, and she walks in on him recharging. Uh, <laughs> if you know what I mean. If Don't you... come in while I'm recharging. <laughs> uh, so he, she, she comes in while he's recharging, and she's talking about things, and uh, he's telling her about the Nazis. Sorry, I wasn't here this morning. I, you know, it was on the news, and and he's, he says, uh, there's, uh, she says, don't worry about it. She says basically. There's still a crying need for a Green Lantern to shed his light over dark evil, and as long as there is, I don't mind sharing you with the world. Uh, and then it says, follow the adventures of Alan Scott Green Lantern in every issue of Green Lantern Corps Quarterly, which is yet another reason why I wanted to do this series. We need some Alan Scott pretty badly on this show. Uh, some cla- Alan Scott. Yeah, classic Alan Scott. Classic Alan Scott. Not I, new 52 Alan Scott. <laughs> I've, I've been on a Golden Age kick lately. I keep going to my LCS because I have these. I have the two uh, trades of the um, archive editions of the Golden Age Alan Scott. Uh, the only I ever put out two. And I want the two trades of the Golden Age Jay Garrick. But they only have volume two. And I keep waiting them for them to get volume one in. So I've been on a bit of a Golden Age kick lately. But anyways, what would you think? I thought it was a pretty good story. I mean, I like Alan Scott. I do like reading Alan Scott stuff. So I, you kind of, I kind of figured even before we, you know, you got into the story, you were, they were going to give you the requisite origin, which I don't mind because, like again, I'm not I, I basically know that you know the, the the basics of Alan Scott's origin, but I don't know all the you know every single beat by beat detail of it. So I thought that so that so I didn't mind that. Uh, the skinheads on onto themselves seem like a minor threat. Hmm. Yeah. So that, Al, that, Alan versus non-powered beings. Yeah. I mean, even though if you look at the way he's drawn, the way he's drawn, even though they do a decent job of covering that up while he's in action, but once he gets home, they really they really play kind of almost instantaneously. He kind of like becomes like the elderly Alan Scott. <laughs> yeah. Or the, or the at least the weathered Alan Scott. Let's put let's put it that way. Yeah. Um. Uh, I don't want to say I uh, thoroughly enjoyed the art, but I didn't dislike it either. Seemed appropriate for the story and yeah. for the character, I think. If you guys notice, uh, I did some custom uh, image for this episode when you guys start listening to it. Uh, you'll see um, in the background, in black and white, faded black and white, it's kind of hard to see, uh, page number 24, where it re- recaps the JSA stuff. I really like that recap page. Out of all the pages in the entire uh, issue, I really like this page. Like if I could have this page as original artwork, that would be awesome. Uh, the only thing I find odd about that page, um, are, are you looking at it? Oh, the re- the recap page. Well, yeah, the the uh, page number twenty four. Uh, yes, but the but the man, but the huge man huge man in the black lab coat also looks like is holding everybody by his hands. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is obviously classic. Um, 
JSA. You've got uh, that looks like Starman, Spectre, uh, Alan Scott. Uh, that's Sandman. I guess that's our man down there between the uh, Shadow Guy's uh, legs. I think so. It's our either our man or Adam. Then there's Johnny Thunder, Doctor Fate. Doctor Fate looks cool. Um, Hawkman, Hawk Girl, uh, and then of course Alan. But I don't know who the chick is. Is that is that Alan's wife? That's what that's what my first thought was. Let's, let's skip to the end. Of it, it. I know the JSA had a secretary, but I don't know. By the way, she, the only thing that looks weird on this entire panel right here is it looks like the chick is like a Barbie doll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's being held like a doll. <clears throat> but yeah, the strange case of the cars from the future. I'm going to see what issue is that from. You talk about this. Tell me what you thought. The issue or the page? No, the, 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 the action, the, well, the, the story. As a whole? Yeah. I thought, I, I think it was very good to, as a reintroduction, if you will, of Alan Scott, because I think, obviously, during that time, Alan Scott wasn't really, he didn't have a huge presence, which is probably one of the reasons why they wanted to make Alan Scott, if you will, the most consistent part, or the, the only ongoing real feature of the quarterly comic. It's a, People know that pretty much every single time you're going to get one of these issues, you'll at least get it. Yeah, he's going to be the, the linchpin, the glue that holds holds the quarter league together. That he's going to be the the character that pretty much everybody may know, even if they don't, you know, even if he's a little bit beyond their time, but they know of him. That he's by somebody, and he's human, so it's, it makes sense that he'd be the one that you could relate to and look forward to seeing more adventures of. So I thought that I thought you know from a narrative point of view, I thought that that made sense. I like the artwork too. I think it is, you know, he does, you know, Alan Scott, I think does come across as being too skinny sometimes, but, but that's, that's not, once you realize that, you know, especially at the end when he is kind of, you know, the weathered older Alan Scott, that it makes, you know, it makes a little more sense. But like I said, the, uh, the, the actual threat he was dealing with seemed relatively minor. They, they'd have to occasionally throw in the, give the guy the, you know, the, the wooden axe handle just because, if not for anything with wood, it wouldn't really be a, would be a problem, you know? <laughs> right. So, just like they did in the beginning when they were get, recapping his origin, like, you know, he gets, he gets clocked, you know, he gets clocked over the head with a piece of teak or whatever, and that's about the only thing that hurts some bullets and everything else won't stop him, but... <clears throat> yeah, uh, I'm not finding anything about the strange case of the cars from the future. Uh, I'm actually, right now, I'm on comics.org going through the All-American comics cover issues just to see if there's anything in here from the golden age that might uh might have something to do with it but yeah it's uh it was a cool story uh i just i think that because of alan scott's history and because of this particular comic uh, green lantern fans might know who he is but they maybe don't have that personal connection so i think the point of this was just to have this story be a recap of his origin and have the things he's dealing with kind of mirror his origin in a way. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's that, but it's, it's definitely, um, it's, it's pretty cool. I I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, one of the things I wanted to note, I wanted to say, I was really paying hard attention to that, uh, to the recap of his origin. They didn't change a thing. 
I mean, I, I know that it's more of a modern thing for there to be, like, minor retcons and stuff like that, but there is not a single retcon in this whole thing. Uh, in the recap of his origins. So that's pretty cool. That's true. That's, it's... I like you said. I think back in that time frame, they were they were a little more detail oriented as far as trying to keep things consistent. It wasn't if there, if something was screwed up, it probably was legitimately a mistake. As you know, just a, oh, I I thought this was this way, and I and I wrote it wrong or whatever. As opposed to just kind of like either not doing research or not going by memory or or going by memory and just or just not even <clears throat> not even necessarily caring as much if you're kind of like eh, this is the basic origin. Doesn't doesn't really matter if you know I, I tweak this or that. So so that was that was a nice touch. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, well, um, I'm trying to. I'm not seeing anything. I'm not going to waste my time going through all these cover issues. I'm sure it's something. Um, and the only other thing I was going to look up was it was Ian Carcool. I got 1941. He goes back to 1941. Oh, okay. More, more fun comics, number 69. He was a, that was his first appearance. I guess he was a foe of Dr. Fate. Huh. And then he became a recurring foe of the All-Star Squadron and the Justice Society, beginning in All-Star Squadron Annual number three. Okay, so that's, that must be where that's from, because but the, only, the only problem, though, is there's no All-Star Squadron members here in this image. This is, this is all JSA. All-Star Squadron would have been... Like Firebrand and all of that. I'm trying to see if we have any uh, get real good pictures of this guy. Let's see. On the DCU guide, let's see. It says, Carcool, a scientist in the 1940s, discovered a device which could turn people into living shadows. So, yes, that must be him. He used it on other people until encountering the sorcerer, Dr. Fate, when he used it on himself to make it harder for Fate to harm him. However, when the doctor destroyed the device, Carcool was trapped as a living shadow in which form he battled various mystical heroes before being defeated by the justice society his shadow form exploded and bathed them in energy which kept them unnaturally young for many years and also caused alan scott's son obsidian to grow up with shadow powers for several decades carcool was lost in the shadow realm until he began influencing others who accessed this realm including obsidian who finally released him only to slay him in cold blood shortly later so he has he has a tie-in with obsidian's origin that's cool yep and and uh, the the JSA staying young, yeah, that's wow. pretty cool. Good that's info. Good to know. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. All right, you want to take the next story? No, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> and why don't you want to? I don't know. Maybe because it's Nort. <laughs> <laughs> Even a chip story might be better. Uh. All right, so this story is called Neither a Lender Nort a Borrower a Borrower B. <laughs> oh, Nort. So uh, Scott Lobdell, he's a writer? Scott Lobdell, Joe Staten, and I don't know about Smith Tolland. Yeah, because they just give you the last well, names. Ke- Kevin Dooley, editor. Yes, Kevin Dooley is a given because he's the editor. All right, so that's a meteor or an asteroid or something following uh, poor Nort in space. So... You have Nort being being Nort going, I should have paid attention to the directions the Guardians gave me. It's not my fault. You know, all, all I see is all those big blue foreheads and I <laughs> and I worry about my own receding fur line. Oh, God, this is going to be a long story. So Nort's trying to get – Nort's out in space. He's trying – you know, he's 
basically he was celebrating the start of the new Green Lantern Corps, which started in Green Lantern Volume 3, number 24. So all North's trying to do, he's trying to get home. He's trying to get back to Earth anyway. Uh, so he's being chased by the meteor. He creates this giant uh, <clears throat> green slingshot to try to shoot him to to Earth. You know, Don't spare the G-Force, as he tells his ring, or Ringo, as he refers to his ring. So he gets shot in space. You know, he goes... His, Conveniently enough, as he mentions how his whole life passes before his eye, before his eyes, we kind of get a a really quick and probably with Nort about as quick as already more time than we want a <laughs> recap of his of his origin, how he's a lowly son of the most powerful man on Gnut, <laughs> or maybe just Newt since he's Nort, so maybe it's just Newt, uh, which would make sense. And then there's Uncle Newton giving giving him a bogus power ring, you know he. He joined the Justice League, still having a fake power ring, but then he slugged it out with a fake Sinestro that earned him a real ring. He goes, that's it, my whole life? I demand a refund. <laughs> As do we, we do too. As do we. <clears throat> you know, so, uh, Nort try, he tells his, you know, he tells Ringo over there to slow him down as he keeps getting closer and closer to Earth. And he kind of realizes that, oh, you know, this doesn't, you know, that, his ring supposedly doesn't have a mind of its own. I guess that's the difference between a sentient being like me and a slab of metal. It's up to me to use my willpower, which is quite interesting because you have a different relationship between Nort and his ring. Clearly, and even Jack T. Chance and his. He's like, oh, I got to slow down, got to slow down, got to slow down. It's going to be okay. Boom. He ends up crashing into an alley. Uh, he finds pretty much... Which is kind of interesting. It seems like all, all his possessions are like thrown out in the alley, or thrown out in the alley. He finds his food bowl. You know, it's like he's got the the flea collar that ice got him. <laughs> it's like well, one of my three birthdays last year. One of the advantages of celebrating in doggy years. Uh, I like this one. The cap. He finds this, the certificate from from his tenure at Captain Strongheart's Obedience School, or as he refers to it. The, even my certificate to that exclusive prep school that John Jones insisted I attend. <laughs> it's like, unless the maid has been working overtime, this isn't my room. So all this stuff is thrown outside the dumpster. We we cut across the street. First, I almost thought that was a guy, you know, when I saw that. The guy with the red hair. Oh, yeah, yeah. In, in, the, in the warrior-like armor. <laughs> it's like, basically, you know, the three, guy, three guys in a florist truck who are... Designed mega suits, and I guess they're going to try to impress uh, the Justice League to try to get in. <clears throat> so he saw Nort outside. You know, they must abandon. He, you know, he must have must have abandoned all my stuff. They thought, you know, I wasn't coming back. Then, of course, Nort being Nort, he hears people. He hears voices coming inside about good riddance. It's like he's been nothing. He's been nothing but trouble since the day his flea-ridden hide showed up on her doorstep. And it's like. uh and he doesn't quite realize he's just listening to a TV show or a movie coming from uh, from the TV in the ha- in the apartment outside. So Nort pretty much feels like nobody likes me, nobody hates everybody hates me. I'm going to the garden to eat worms. <laughs> it's like I want I wonder if I'm young enough to join the Teen Titans. I figured you'd appreciate that. <laughs> so he's carrying his empty Nort ball, and somebody calls to him, "Hey Rover, if you're not going to finish that chow." How about sharing the wealth? <clears throat> and there's, I assume she's homeless, right? Yes. 
she's some homeless blonde chick who kind of reminded me of Ice at first. Uh, that she's a sax, she's a saxophone player. There actually was food left over in his bowl, so he actually gives he gives her the dog bowl to start picking at. And they have an introduction, and you know, North kind of asks her, like, do you have any experience as a hero? And he goes, no. It's like, great. <laughs> How do you like to be my sidekick? It's like, just until your next gig. And it's like, okay, that sounds like a good team. Not really, but to them it might. Then, of course, just at that moment, North gets blasted by the the <laughs> – got to love this name – the Trio of Greatness. <laughs> 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 kind of looking in a, looking like a poor man's version of like Rom Space Knight over there other than the face plates showing their human faces. You know, identical armor, all in gold. So it's like, we're here to take our rightful place amongst the Justice League. And it's like, hey, they were overcrowded. They even threw my stuff into the dumpster. <laughs> so Nord kind of... It, it's like, uh, Nord goes... Talks to his... He calls his, uh, his friend there, Sax Girl. <laughs> Let's not play game. That, that can be a joke real easy, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> it's like, leave, leave Sax Girl alone as he, he leaps into action wearing his... I love the fact that his ring is like that whole... Almost like a brass knuckle thing on his, on his paw. <laughs> it's like, if you girls are going to act like poop, I'm going to treat you like poop. And he basically has a big scooper and he scoops them up in. Which, of course, doesn't last very long because, of course, they're wearing gold armor and he's using green energy. Of course, then he has to announce to the world because he's Nord. It's like, oh, I forgot the ring doesn't work on the color yellow. <laughs> nice. Make a note, boys. When you exposatize, do it to yourself. <laughs> Which is a valuable lesson to you heroes out there. It's kind of like the villain going through the, the talk about, this is my master plan, you know, before you've done it. So they proceed to keep kicking, you know, Nord's butt all over the place, calling him Doggy Hauser, which was kind of a nice, nice touch. Like, how about a how, so doggy Hauser? How about a game of kick the can? And we'll start with his. And they start kick, kicking the crap out of Nort. You know, they started, they really started doing a number on Nort. And Nort's just thinking, gosh, this is like Guy's Halloween party all over again. But with their attention on me, Sax Girl have a chance to escape. And of course, she actually shows or earns her, earns her keep there by going, Nort, that ring of yours can pretty much do anything, right? It's like, be a, you know, it's like, be a guy, which is kind of funny. And form a mega version of this for my sax. So if she, you know, she, uh, she uses her sax, green energy comes out of the sax, and she uses that pretty much to just blindside the, uh, trio of greatness from behind, knocking them out. So in a way, she, she'd be a better Green Lantern than Nort, which doesn't surprise us. Nort goes, you know, cool, you did it. You saved us both. You go, I couldn't have done it without you, Mr. <laughs> How are we going to even pronounce that? Mr. Mr. N? <laughs> That's not a great abbreviation when his name begins with a G N and the G is silent. Well, it's like uh, thanks, Biggin. I guess. Yeah, Megan. Yeah, if you put it all together, you could do Megan, Megan. Uh, she goes. I think we make a pretty good team, partners. Like, and North goes. You really think I sh- should have hit them harder? I said. I said we make a good team. North goes. Ice cream. Sure. Why not? And the dreaded. And so it begins. Ugh. <laughs> uh. So what'd you think? <laughs> <laughs> I guess for a North story, we can't, you know, beggars, beggars can't be choosers. But I don't know. It does, excuse me. It does reinforce why North's kind of a joke, though. 
but she, even though he is focusing the power into the into the sacks, the point still is she does kind of prove herself to be a little, <laughs> slightly more effective with green semi using green energy than he is. So, eh. I think it's funny that the sound waves short out their <laughs> their suits. That's... Yeah, you get to you get this you get to zzz all the you know the the snaps and the zits and the frazits and all these to indicate that yeah that it's like fry, it's frying their circuitry or whatever. So that's kind of hmm. that's kind of interesting. But the artwork was so so. Yeah. It it doesn't look so bad on Nord himself, but with the other characters, it just her head seems kind of weird. Definitely good though to have uh, Joe Staten though. Yeah, absolutely. Good old Nord. Captain Strongheart's obedience school. <laughs> That's a classic. The, 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 the prep school, the, the fancy prep school that John wanted me to go to. It's an obedience school. <laughs> but I guess it's, it's that whole uh, perception thing, looking at, looking at the world through your own rose-colored glasses. I like how he's dodging these meteors and he's like, ah, I gotta get out of the way. You're like, go left. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Up down. Nobody cares. Just stop yeah. going in front of it. <laughs> yeah, like in like in like in Prometheus running in front of the ship as it's falling. <laughs> it's like go to the side. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. <clears throat> All right, Aresia. Sure. All right, I'll do Aresia. Uh, I'm sure you would. <laughs> gross. Um, <laughs> plotted by Gerard Jones. Dialogued by Will Jacobs, penciled by Tim Hamilton, inked by Gary Yap. Yep, yep. Lettered by Albert de Guzman. Colored by Anthony Tollin, and again edited by Kevin Dooley. Whatever happened to Aresia? And it just says here, last time we saw Aresia, she was uh, in the defunct Green Lantern Corps headquarters, which destroyed by a playful... Knockdown dragout fight between Guy and Kilowog was about to fall on her head. CJLA number 33. Um, she's in here. Uh, she's like, I, I gotta get out. She dives out. She gets knocked in the head. She comes unconscious. She comes to. She's sort of amnesiac. Uh, amnesic. Whatever. Whatever. Um, she got amnesia, people. There you go. <laughs> She uh, she's like, well, who am I? Oh yeah, and then we go into kind of a recap of her origin. Um, she became a Green Lantern. She uh, had a crush on Hal. Hal wouldn't take notice of her, so she used her ring to grow her body to an adult size. Hal then took notice of her, but before too long, she her, she became aware that she may look like. An adult, but she still acts like a kid, so she kind of went nuts and left Hal, became a model uh, on Earth, uh, and then as she's thinking about all this, she gets in a car accident, which kind of furthers her amnesic state. Uh, her agent wakes her up and has her come to, and she's like, well, who are you? I don't know you. Uh, I'm the guy who does everything for you. Ain't I the guy who set you up on a date with Luke Perry? Think of the publicity. She says, no, I can't do that. I don't work for you. I'm only 13. Say what? And then she runs out of the hospital screaming, I'm only 13. I'm only 13. Please won't somebody help me. I need my mom. I need my boyfriend. I need Hal. <laughs> More jail time for Hal. <laughs> That's right. Um... Uh, and then, uh, of course, since all this is being viewed so 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 uh, 
kind of by the Green Lantern Corps looking at the Book of Oa. Kilowog says, oh, geez, what have we done to the poor kid? Uh, and then uh, Guy goes, so what are we supposed to do about it? And uh, uh, Hal goes, I'll tell you. I'll try to find her when I get back to Earth. <laughs> and, and then uh, Guy goes, when you get back to Earth, and, and John says, not in front of the recruits. Go to the next story, Hal. Nothing to see here, people. Turn the, on. Turn, Move on. Turn the page. <laughs> Oh, what do you think of that? It was a cute little throwaway story. It was. I mean, I guess I, I guess we can't really blame them for doing for for this creepy ass story. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, because they're they're really they, they didn't make it up. They're working with what they have. <laughs> this this creepy ass backstory is what they have. No, and, they, and I guess that they clearly were trying to bring her at least back into the phrase somewhat. So I guess this was their way of kind of picking up where they left off with the guy Kilowog fight and then kind of telling filling filling in the uh filling in the blanks and the blanks aren't too pretty. <laughs> uh the art um it's okay. Um Aresia is supposed to look super sexy but there are times where she's got like an old woman face. Um like she looks fine on the cover of that magazine. Yes. You know what I mean? And the bikini picture. Yeah, but, but like the very, the very uh, previous panel, she looks creepy as all hell. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's supposed to be because she was nuts in that panel. Yeah, I guess. Remember, no wonder I cracked up and left him. The strain of pretending was too much, and that was. Yeah. And that's that's the, you know, the, her dialogue or her, her thought balloon, if you will, uh, in that panel. So that's probably why she kind of looks so. Because she, she is she supposed to be. Crying? It looks like she's supposed to be crying. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, she definitely looks good on the magazine cover. <clears throat> yeah, not much to say about it. Your turn? <laughs> wow, even, even shorter than the, than the Nord story. <laughs> well, there's not a lot here. It, it, no, again, I this, I'm only kidding. This is, a, this, is, this is a... Let's see. It's one... Three... S- barely six because you go you you have the three panels with the Green Lantern Corps, uh, so barely six pages of this story and most of it's a recap of her origin. So, yeah, yeah, not much, not much there. Uh, she ends. She basically forgets what's going on. It's a recap of her origin. She gets in an accident. She forgets who she is. Oh, she kind of knows who she is. Uh, she's just, I guess she's forgetting some things, you know, so. Yeah, she's got, it's like, she has partial, probably partial memory recall. Yeah. But not, but not all. So. All right, your turn. All right, this is, an in, it's an interesting story. This one isn't particularly long either, but we get a, we get a little intro about how, you know, beyond the, beyond the rim of the, of the Owens influence, there are worlds, you know, in which, you know, the light, I'm assuming also, Light and jet. Light's supposed to work, I think, on multiple levels here, including, you know, the Guardian's light. But just light as in, just enlightenment, too. You know, having reached, and they, you know, worlds, you know, there's also worlds not dark. Worlds darkened not by the absence of suns, but by shades of ignorance. And basically, we're talking about worlds, you know, who basically have only mastered one kind of craft, and that's warfare. 
and we and we cut to we see you know a planet engaged in in warfare. We have the character, the main character of our story, who we're going to be, who we're introduced to by name shortly thereafter. But we see very. I like the artwork on this page, though. With the you know with the fires burning and the oh, green yeah. and yellow, it actually reminds me. I think of the, I think it was in the old the old old like Son of Origins, a Marvel Comics graphic novel when they had the. I think they were introducing the Watcher. I think there was similar artwork in that when uh. And the two planets were, you know, were nuking each other. See, I have that. I have, I have uh, Marvel Origins, Son of Origins. I have all of those Fireside books. Never once read them. I've been, I was trying to sell them on eBay, but no one would buy them. So, I remember I got. I don't think I got both, but I think I got the original one when I was sick in the hospital. I think I got it like it might have been a tonsillectomy or something. I think my father got it for me. So, I like the first one, but the first one dealt with, with more A tier characters. The second team. The second book had like you know X Men and uh, the Silver Surfer, I think, and it had I think it had. So yes, it was in. But that's but that's that scene. If you if you do flip through some, uh, I think the Watcher story, I think you'll see that that's uh, it's very similar in in artwork. So this planet's being being ravaged by war. We be, we see the the reason why there was so much green in in the sky is basically because there was something in the air coming from another from, from another world that had been shot that had been shot down. Shalandra is our main character here. You know, and she and they're all first they're all happy. Oh my god, but, you know, it's from another world we shut it down and it's like, you know, a war with this the other side of this world is bad enough. We don't want to be, you know, we don't need alien invaders and she points out actually what if they came in peace? What if they came to help us and we shot it down? And the response is, nothing can help us, Shalandra. The other side is evil. This war must go on. Uh, Shalandra doesn't really accept this. You know, she kind of goes into the death zone. She sets off alone to kind of find out what was shot down. And she basically f- stumbles upon the, a very, was it, do you think it's more squid, is it more spider-like to you or more squid-like? Or a combination thereof. It looks very similar. To, it's almost more spider-like with the eyes, but it's it's I don't know. Uh, it's kind of crossed between. It, it's its body looks like a uh, a cross between a roach and a, a roly-poly, but it's got long, spindly legs like tentacles. Right. Yeah. It's weird. So Shalandra stumbles upon – first he was encased you know, in, in a sphere of green energy to protect him from the attack and the explosion. You know, uh, Shalandra is asking him, uh, you know, do, you, do you need help? And the Green Lantern responds, no, I possess enough power to protect myself, but I've completed my journey as my estimated – just as estimated just in time, you know, just within this millennial span of my life. So pretty much he didn't get killed in the crash, but his lifespan is about to end. You know, he points out to complete my mission. I must only locate the one individual worthy to serve the guardian as a guardian protector of this new, in quotes, because obviously it must indicate it kind of was just discovered or recognized sector of space. You know, Chalandra's kind of curious about how he's going to choose, you know, that worthy individual. And he kind of points out the choice was already made when you came alone to find me. You know, Chalandra, Chalandra Thane is her full name. It's like, I'm dying. You know, you, there's much you must learn, and then we we kind of see the transition from him being Green Lantern to her being Green Lantern off panel because she's leaping, she's 
Next scene, we see the war continuing on on this planet with a green streak of energy coming towards the combatants. And it's Shalandra in Green Lantern garb. She puts up a green wall between the two uh, cores of tanks that are coming at each other. You know, and she she adds that, you know, this is that this is the power that she has. And then now with the coming of light, it is time to look for life, not death. Nobody's really, you know, nobody's really buying it. You know, the two sides can still want to go at each other. And if destruction be our destiny, why resist it? And she says, well, because I say so. You know, there is other life out there. There is hope. And I've seen and been blessed by it. Had we not wasted so much time and effort destroying this world, by now we could have taken our place amongst the stars. And you know the 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 blue side of this conflict, the blue armor wearing aliens or their natives, but aliens to us. It must be true. What else could you know? What else could she have gained? Where else I should say could she have gained such miraculous power? If it is true, then she is too late. I have just been informed the missiles have been launched, and basically we have a huge nuclear missile launch from the planet, and print. And unfortunately for her, you know, she's she is unable and or inexperienced enough part, partially to to be able to save this planet, even if there was a way to do it. So she becomes the sole survivor of this planet. She points on to get to a splash page where she the artwork is kind of weird on the splash page, at least of her. But the dial the inner the monologue that she has is is pretty interesting that, it, you know, it was their destiny, but not my. But not mine, for I have been chosen to guard and protect my an entire sector of space. And now I must reach some other world truly in time to teach them the destiny I have learned. Perhaps a light will be shut down on that world too. And if that is my destiny, then perhaps even in the killing they will learn. And then she proceeds to greet, give the Green Lantern's oath. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a bad story. Well, you want to do the, the wrap-up page? Sure, I'll do the wrap-up page. Yeah. Uh, we... You know, we we flex, we go back to Oa, where, you know, where they're kind of reading slash absorbing stories from the book, and we hear, I think that's enough for now. That you know, we all Hal says we all have had had hard jobs, or we have all have hard jobs ahead of us. You know, we have to rebuild the core. You know, there's recruits. As Kilowog points out, I got I got to train train all these greenies. Uh, for you veterans, there's rust to work off, and you know, and changing sectors to rediscover. And for you, John, there's the strangest job in the strangest place, Oa itself, which is referring to Mosaic One, which was right on sale at the time this issue came out. Guy and Hal kind of have a foreshadowing of the throwdown they're going to have, which is in Green Lantern 25 and Guy Gardner number one, all of which were coming out in the next couple of weeks as they were going to determine which one of the two of them was going to be Green Lantern of Earth. And got you know how you know throws as a as a closing it's like it's all part of being a Green Lantern. If you ever find yourself wondering what being a Green Lantern means, just come back here and check the book. And then we have the coming attractions next issue: more Alan Scott, more Nort, God help us, more Green Lantern, and the debut of the history of Sector two eight one four two eight one four. All in just three measly months. <laughs> and that's when we'll be giving it to you guys. <laughs> We'll be giving it to you in that's, three months. That's right. Well, next quarter at some random <laughs> I know. at some random juncture. Um, curious about this story, though. I, I, I mean, it's, it was cool. Uh, it was very spacey. Uh, yes, it was very. It was very very sci-fi. I especially 
the panel where the the Green Lantern you get the side shot of him and she's standing there and there's the moons and the planets and the stars in the background. That one's super sci-fi looking. Um, yes, yes, the kind of col- and the contrasting colors too. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I was curious though about is I, I, well, not that we'll get a chance to, but I'd like I think it'd be very interesting to see the progression of these. Like in other words, take a page, show me the pencils, then show me the inks, then show me the colors. Like I want to see what these all look like because there's so, there's some times where it looks like things are only separated by colors as opposed to pencils or inks. Uh, and like I like um, on the first page where uh, where you see the the her laying on the ground, she's saying no, stop it, stop it, you know. And you see the 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 green meteor or whatever, right? Against the sky, that looks like it's just separated by maybe pencils uh, or uh, and not inks. That's just color separation, um, you know, stuff like that. I, just, I would be very interested to see what what was there on the page when it was penciled, and what was there when it was inked, and what was what did the colorist do? You know what I mean? Right. Especially the very last page where you see it's it's very. I don't really see any inks on her there. That's just that looks like just color. That's, yeah, it does. It's it's very raw. Yeah. So yeah, I think so. That maybe that's why it looks so strange. Yeah. So I'd just be curious to know what's what's going on there uh, and what what the originals look like. But otherwise, the story uh, is pretty cool. Um, a lot of I'm not a big fan of the art. Um, I mean, I don't I don't dislike it by any means. There's a lot of really cool things being done with it. It's done very well. Uh, but the layouts are more what I think is cool. Like for instance, when her planet explodes and her face with the stars and she the her planets above her and like just the way that looks you see what i'm saying yeah yes that looks that looks really cool um so i i give the art credit because clearly the artist knows what's going on what they're doing and it's done very well it's just not done in a style i particularly like so but that one page that you were talking about with the fire in the background that does look really cool Yes, so it was a good story. I thought, so for the most part, the stories in this annual were, or this uh, one, sh- well, it's not really a one shot, but this quarterly was pretty good. Yeah, or, or pretty good, I should say. I definitely enjoyed it, and I the, we didn't talk much about it, but the cover. What do you think of the cover? I know, actually, it's funny that you, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I I thought we were going to talk about the cover. I I I like I like the side panel when they kind of tell you what's in this issue because I've always been. That goes kind of back to my roots when I was a kid. They used to do that all the time, especially in bigger issues. They kind of tell you what's inside on the left-hand side. Uh, I like I like the Jack T. Chance. That's that's the that's the main cover shot about meeting Jack T. Chance, the baddest GL of them all. So I do like that. Uh, of course, I like the contrast with the green and the yellow. Nordoff, I like that his button on Jack T. Chance's jacket. Nordoff. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I thought the artwork on the cover was pretty good. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. It's very, uh, it's very good. And this was from June of '92. Yeah. This. Sixty-four pages, and what was the cover price? Two fifty. Two fifty. Yeah. I know it, it is always funny when you go back and you look at when you look at issues, even if it's only like a two or three year span, especially 
especially in the 80s when the prices really started skyrocketing quickly that you can like oh it's like 60 cents and then like two two years later it's like oh a dollar it's like it's like oh as opposed to back back in the glory days when you when you even when i was a even when i was a kid when you could just go to if you had like five bucks you could come home with a cold crap load of comments not anymore probably couldn't even come back with two you might be able to come back with two maybe uh i i i really like it um this uh I, maybe maybe not so much the actual the, like the contents of the stories were not that not bad at all um i just think i what i really enjoy is is this quote unquote breath of fresh air <laughs> in terms of green lantern comics like this is this is good stuff this is this is this is like kind of I mean, I mean, I know these storylines will be continuing, but almost one-shot stories featuring random GLs. That's 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 awesome. I like that. Yes. Yeah, it, it's it's it is a different it is a different feel, and in a way, it, it's kind of a, a good time to be able to go back and reread some of these and appreciate appreciate them, even if they, I mean, they were somewhat I think appreciated at the time, but I think we definitely can appreciate now, going back and seeing them all again and especially even since but some of these characters we kind of know how things have kind of turned out for them yeah you know like jack like jack in particular you know jack t chance hasn't hasn't exactly had a he, he had an ever so brief run as a relevant green lantern and then after that he kind of like not only was he missing in action it's just the fact that even when he was brought back you know he didn't really uh his fate didn't turn out that great <laughs> yeah one of the things I wanted to say before we wrap up this episode um, is for those listeners out there who are curious, yes, we will only be covering Green Lantern Corps quarterly. Uh, there, Like, for instance, I'm looking at number two right now, and there's one that it, it, I will just say involves this, this story involves Evil Star, and it says, see Green Lantern 28. So clearly these Green Lantern Corps quarterly issues, in terms of current stuff that's happening in the comics, are placed very carefully in between uh, issues of the comics. So it's almost, there are certain stories in here being treated almost like an extra issue or an annual kind of a thing. We're not covering that for Green Lantern Corps quarterly. So I apologize. I'm sure this Lantern, this, this show has been going forever. So I'm sure we'll be, we'll be getting to these stories at some point and we can reference what happens later on. But as far as the quarterly, quarterly show, uh, you know, we I guess we could do a little bit of history, you know, like kind of like we did with the the JSA character, like the Ian guy. Yeah. Like we could maybe you know look into it a little bit before before we cover the issue and say here's generally what's kind of going on in the comics at this point. But otherwise, I mean, it seems it seems uh, I, I just think it's a fun idea to do the quarterly quarterly. And plus, also in the, in the issues themselves, I think besides yes, trying to fit them in so they from a continuity point of view where it makes it clear to current readers. I think it's also probably not so subtle. They're also trying to get probably they're trying to increase or maybe get your, get more of an interest in some of the things that are going on in the main books, because don't forget at this point, technically other than now, they probably, this is when they were getting the most Green Lantern books. They kind of had going at one time because they had, you know, mosaic was mosaic is clearly starting up. They reference that, so they're kind of pushing Mosaic on one level. They have Guy Gardner at number one, which is just about to come out, so they're pushing that. And we and we have the Green Lantern Quarterly, which just started with this issue. So this is other than our 
the th- other than the status quo we've been used to in the last like four or five years, this is certainly the only other time where they, when Green Lanterns had that many books going on a regular basis. So again, it's kind of their way without having a true crossover in every single a Green Lantern wide crossover. This is kind of their way of like cross pollinization, if you will, too. So which which serves a good purpose. Yeah. Even if there's only one story you're interested in, or if you're not interested in Alan Scott necessarily, but you're interested in reading about the core or vice versa, maybe there's something that happens in this issue that they're kind of and they're kind of like uh, promoting. It's going to be happening in a, another Green Lantern book that might make you a little. You know, might increase your odds of being interested or going to purchase the issue to find out, especially the two the two new ongoings. You know, the Mosaic and uh, Guy Gardner number one. <clears throat> so, it was fun. It was it was a fun read. Uh, just wait till you get to number two. All right, guys. Uh, so next quarter, at some point, some random interval, we'll be doing uh, another one of these. Um, I don't know if we've discussed what we're doing on the next regular episode. Well, this is a, a an episode of the Lantern Cast. Yes, but we but yeah, I know and they know what you mean. Right. I don't think we, I don't think we know what we're doing on the next episode yet. I think it depends. It really comes down to well, we got some spinoffs to give us some time to think. Yeah, we so. have we have things we have things coming down the pike, and that's probably why it's harder because we don't necessarily know when those things are going to be recorded and when we're and. When the time frame is also, you know, when we're the gap, when the gap is going to be fit perfectly to record. So that might, I would say at this point, you know, we definitely, we're only like a couple of weeks away from having all of February's books out. So we know that'll be coming soon. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing, and I I was going to mention this off air because you don't have to commit to it one way or the other, but I was, I was thinking that maybe at some point in the near future, we could revisit the Emerald Knights thing and maybe do our commentary track for that. Just because I was thinking about that uh, DVD the other day. Oh, that'd be cool. Uh, so that's something I would, I'll just have to watch it one time first, just so I, just to get myself a little more up to snuff on the. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd be I'd be fine with that. The only problem I have though would be finding time for the uh, my my uh, roommates to to not you know be you know in the kitchen and doing a whole bunch of crap. So that's true. So, all right, guys, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Mark, you want to do the closing? Sure, I will do the closing. If you want to contact us, email us, lanterncast at gmail.com, lanterncast at gmail.com. Of course, you can visit our website, lanterncast.com. There you can get our Ring Cyclopedia episodes. You can you can also, if you're not available for some reason to, um, to get them on iTunes or Stitcher on a regular basis or just can't access it that particular day, you can, you can always get our latest episodes by going to, the, to our website too. You can... Of course, listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you like us there, please leave us a positive review. And I, I'm winging this because I actually don't have my normal document in front of me, oh. so I was like, "If you no, it's not that part. That part's easy. It's, it's the phone number. It's like, if you want to contact us, seven zero eight Lantern, correct? That's right, seven zero eight Lantern, and let us know what you think. That's right. At least I got it memorized after all this. <laughs> And uh, thanks for the for participating in the live tweet, guys. For those of you who did uh, that are uh, listening, and I will just read out a couple names real quick: Joseph, Jim, Jesse. Oh, Jay's in there. Uh, Joseph, Jim, <laughs> Jesse, Mark, of course, was in there a little bit, and uh, uh, there was one other: Andy. Duh. Uh, oh, and Scott was in there for a little bit too. So thanks, guys, for participating in that. I'm still doing it right now, though, though I'm kind of uh, backpedaling. But 
it's not going to matter as you guys listen to this. So forget it. <laughs> we'll do another one of these at some point, I'm sure. It was kind of fun. So uh, I'll talk to you. We'll talk. We'll talk to you guys later. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night.